singing the doxology together. gather together in the name of the Lord to praise him. We're glad that you're here. We especially want to welcome those who visit with us today. Our men are coming up the aisle, and if you're a visitor, would you raise your hand nice and high for them so they can see it and give you one of our visitor's cards? We ask you to take it and fill it out, place it in the offering plate a little later, thus giving us an opportunity of a further word of welcome to you during the week. It is so good to have all of you here, and we're just praying that God in his Holy Spirit is going to really bless your heart and your life from this experience of worship and praise. If you're looking for a church home, we invite you to come and to unite your heart and your life with us as we serve the Lord here at Brainerd Baptist Church. If you're visiting, traveling through town, why not try to make this a place of stopping and worshiping on your way back home? Again, so good to have you with us. We welcome you. Let's join in singing together hymn number 208, All the Stanzas Like a River Glorious.
have given us the opportunity to be in your house and worship you in spirit and in truth. May our minds be wiped clean from the hurriedness, the busyness, the joy that surrounds us. May we find in you this day. May we also look to you to take the emptiness out of our heart and fill it with your Holy Spirit. Father, we know that there are those here this morning that have grief in their lives. We know that there are those who are worried, who are anxious, and yet your word teaches us not to be anxious about anything but only in you. Thank you so much for this opportunity to get to know you and worship you better this day. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.
Last week, we introduced a former interim pastor of our church, and we said he needed no introduction. And I know this week, this man certainly needs no introduction. But we do have a few folks here, Brother Ralph, who've come within the last couple of years that may not know just who you are, and I wanted them to know who you are. By the way, I've forgotten. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can only think of him as pastor. He pastored the church here for 18 and a half years, this great church, and then our loss was Nashville's gain as he went to the Sunday School Board and there serves now as a director of church and staff support division. He's been there for two years, and always it's a blessing to have him back, and especially today, to come and to fill the pulpit. Uh, Candy McIntyre, his daughter, is going to be singing for us before the message a little later, but Gigi and Pierce are also here, and we're delighted that the family could be here uh, today. He'll come now and lead us in prayer and in the reading of God's Word. Brother Ralph. The scripture passage this morning is in the 12th chapter of the letter to the Hebrew Christians. Hebrews, the 12th chapter, the first three verses. And this scripture passage becomes the text for the message this morning on the unchanging Christ. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Let us pray. Our Father, your word always comes to our hearts with a freshness that is beyond our understanding. I pray this morning, dear Lord, that your Holy Spirit will indeed take the truths of this passage to plant it in each one of the lives of those of us who are here, that because we share together over the word that you've given us, that our lives will be more like Jesus, that our lives will fit the pattern that you have set for us, and that together as a people, dear Lord, we might be and do all those things 
that honor you. We present to your throne this morning the vast multitudes who come to your presence who are weary, who hurt, who are at crossroads, those, Father, who are at the edge of some new opportunities of life and therefore looking into something of the darkness of the future. Dear Lord, I pray for us all that because we've met in your house, you will speak to us just that word that we need. In Jesus' name, amen. Hymn number 377, The Solid Rock. Let's sing all the stanzas, standing as we sing. times of uncertainty, 
Make us to realize that the promises of God in his word tell us that if we'll be faithful unto him, he surely will be faithful to us. He will give us enough that we can share with the needs of the world. And we pray that these offerings we bring might be brought from hearts of love and that you'll bless them and multiply the gifts and the giver for Christ's sake. Amen. Pleasure to have Miss Candy McIntyre come sing for us. Oh! 
Christ came to the world at just the right time. His coming was a part of the plan of his heavenly Father. It would not have been right if Jesus had been born a hundred years before he was, things would not have been the same if he had been born a hundred years later. The scriptures put it clearly and plainly that in the fullness of time, Jesus came. When Jesus came, things happened. When Jesus came, lives were changed. When Jesus came, the towns and the villages through which he walked and ministered knew his presence. When Jesus came, nothing was ever ever the same again. There have been those who have tried to make Jesus to be one of the great men of the world. And in a certain sense, I suppose that's all right, but he, he doesn't belong on any list because Jesus is Jesus. He came at the appointed time. He came in the appointed way. He, the sinless Son of God from all creation, entered into the mainstream of the history of the world, sinless. Without the taint of sin upon him, he came from the virgin womb of Mary. And he lived his life to make a difference. In the countless roll call of the nations across the centuries, the millenniums, 
Literally billions of people have existed on the face of the earth. There is no way at all that there could be any kind of a record that would be complete to contain the names of all of the people who have ever lived from the time of Adam and Eve until the birth of the baby taking place this very moment somewhere in the world. Multiplied billions of people. But what a difference Jesus made. What a difference in the way he was born. What a difference in the way he lived. What a difference in the impact, not only upon his generation, but upon every generation since. There cannot be any adequate understanding of the forces flowing through the courses of history if we take Jesus Christ out of the picture. Because in the coming of Jesus Christ, we have God himself present in the world declaring God's revelation in a perfect manner. Jesus came to tell us how much God loved us, and the best way for him to do that was in word, which he did, in the performance of miracle, and his hand touched others, and miracle resulted. But supremely, he exhibited the love of an eternal heavenly Father in the bounty and the magnitude of the love the love that he freely gave everybody, everybody who came within the circle of his influence. He came to tell a world that had been disillusioned by slavery, by war, by horrors, by all of the catalog of man's inhumanity to man. He came to tell a world that in spite of all of this, don't lose faith in God because God is love. Jesus came to declare that eternal message that because God is love and God does care that he is also a God who hates sin. Only from the vantage point of God can we ever come to understand even a portion of what sin has wrought in the midst of that perfect creation God made. God who created the universe. God who set the stars in place. God who formed this little planet of which we're a part. God, who brought first man and first woman into the beauty of that garden. God saw the terrible, searing, black marks that sin brought into his world. God 
experience, the end result of the sin of Adam and Eve who believed the devil and who called him God a liar. Have you ever been in the situation where you have been in the midst of a conflict and you have been right? But others in party to the conflict would stand to your face and call you a liar, knowing something of the hurt that comes when others cannot accept the truth that we speak, can only give us a little tiny glimpse of the pain and the hurt that must have come to the heart of God. When those two creatures formed by his own hand, when first man and first woman who had walked with him possibly for ages and ages in the beauty of the garden there called Eden. When they said to God, you're a liar. God, from his vantage point, knew the horror that came when murder first stained with cruel blood the soil that God had made. Down across the course of the thousands of years, God from his vantage point, his all-seeing and all-knowing eye, seeing the hearts of everyone who has ever lived, the billions of people who have ever existed, God who sees and knows all and knows the inner thinkings of our minds and our hearts. God who has witnessed every murder. God who has witnessed every rape. God who has witnessed every robbery. God who has witnessed every blow and every strike and every act of war. God from his vantage point who has witnessed it all. What would we expect except that God would hate sin. And Jesus came to tell a world that while God loves us, God hates the sin that hurts us. Jesus came and everywhere that Jesus went, and everywhere that Jesus walked, and everywhere that Jesus talked, everywhere, people came face to face with the reality of the love of God and of the wrath of God toward that which hurts. Jesus came. And nothing was ever the same again. Jesus' message for his day was that God 
in the midst of the confusion of the times. That God, in the midst of the uncertainties, that God, in the midst of the slavery that bound and shackled the physical bodies and the minds and even the souls of men, that God was working out a plan. That God was not off somewhere. God was not an absentee God. That God was not an unconcerned somebody. That God was not sleeping, dozing as a grandfather on the front porch of heaven, rocking back and forth. But that God was working, actively at work, in a plan. That God was unfolding a marvelous design. And Jesus came to say, I'm part of that design. And Jesus came to say, I want you to be a part of what God is about and what God is doing. And Jesus, in his ministry, called men and women to follow after him and to be a part of what God was all about. Almost 2,000 years has passed since Jesus walked on this earth. Almost 2,000 years ago, in that glorified, resurrected body, Jesus was lifted up out of the sight of men into the glories of heaven. And whoever it was that wrote this letter to the Hebrew Christians said to them, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Jesus came at a given moment of time Jesus came at the right time. Jesus came born in the place where it had been spoken centuries before, Bethlehem of Ephratah. Jesus came and things happened and things changed and folks were blessed. And the author to the Hebrew Christian writing 40, 50, 60, 70 years later, the author says, even as Jesus was compassed about with a cloud of witnesses, the angels who must have looked beyond that banister of heaven to the coming of Jesus, the eternal crown prince of heaven, wondering how such great love could be. As Jesus came to the performance of his ministry in the midst of his world, surrounded with a cloud of witnesses, the angelic host, as he proclaimed the message God had, the author to the Hebrew Christians puts it now to his own generation, and we must translate it to the contemporary moment, to our generation and to our time. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that's set before us. 
Jesus Christ came to his day. Jesus Christ spoke the words that God had given him to speak. He suffered that horrible yet magnificent sacrifice on Calvary's hill. He died taking your sins and mine upon him. He changed every tick of the clock, every leaf of the calendar that would fall. He changed every one from that moment until this moment that we live. He made a difference. And now the Holy Spirit says to us through this passage of Scripture, we too are in this generation for a purpose. We too are so to live in the midst of the cloud of witnesses about us. We too have a race to run. We too are to live in such a way that we will make a difference. That's the glory of the Christian life. That's the excitement of the adventure. That is, that when we live our life and then go and leave this world to join Jesus about the throne, that we will have lived in such a way that things will be better for those whose lives we have touched. That's what's being, being a Christian is all about. The day in which we live, oh, it's not so different from the day in which Jesus lived. We travel in different style. We eat different kinds of food. We wear different kinds of clothing. We live in different kinds of houses. We earn our living in different ways. But when you strip all of that veneering of life away, things haven't changed much in these 2,000 years. And yet it is a different day in which we live. I receive from time to time a report from a research firm in New York City called Monitor. It is put out by a man, one of the great and brilliant social scientists of our day, a man by the name of Yankelovich. And he conducts and has for nine years now the trends of the value system of America, not from a religious or moral standpoint, but from a secular and materialistic standpoint. And yet there are so many truths that come to us who are concerned about the moral and ethical values of our people. Yankelovich, in surveying the decade that has just passed and just ended, the decade of the 70s, Yankelovich said that the chief claims for economic growth of the 70s 
was a demand for an ever-enlarging welfare system, a decreasing emphasis upon the work ethic into an ethical system of me-ism, and an insistence upon a cleaner and safer environment. And he adds this, to these three great dominant forces moving in the consciousness of America in the decade of the 70s, there were two others imposed upon the system. And he says that the decade of 70s has produced a deep distrust of all major institutions of society, big government, big business, big educational systems, and the church itself. And the second, he says, is inflation. Inflation has challenged the traditional American vision of the possibility of an ever-increasing and constant economic growth. And Dr. Yankelovich says that during the last 10 years, there has been a significant shift, not a slight shift, but a significant shift from optimistic faith in an open-ended, unlimited future for America to a fear of instability and a new sense of limits that America has never known before. He says that there is a national foreboding about our national destiny. Not from a research firm dealing primarily with moral or ethical principles with the economic realities of this life we live. I want to pick up two or three more quotes from this same last Monitor report. At least three ideas have carried over into the present decade and have been appropriated by the majority of Americans, he says. First, the growing conviction that what is regarded as a nose-to-the-grindstone way of life with hard work, unquestioning loyalty to employers, and a suppression of desires with which conflict with obligations to others, he says that the vast majority of Americans say this is too high a price to pay for material success. Secondly, the feeling that Americans have devoted too much time and too much attention to the task of how to make a living and not enough to the question of how to live. This is not a religious research survey. This is not a moral research survey. It's not an ethical research survey. It is a business house research paper. Not enough attention is given to the question of how to live. And third, the belief that what counts most in life is that, quote, I keep growing as an individual and that I have the opportunity to fulfill my potential 
and that I have a moral obligation to myself to do so. And Yankelovich says, these dominant feelings <coughs> in the part of America is shaping and will shape the life that we The message that Jesus Christ delivered to his generation, the message that has been preached and proclaimed across the centuries and 2,000 years to the time in which we live, is still the message that America needs to hear. It is still the message that mothers and dads need in order to rear families still the message that needs to be heard if proper relationships are to exist between a husband and a wife. It's still the message that boys and girls and we adults who still have our parents need to know if we are to have adequate and proper relationship and proper loving spirit to parents. A long, deep, down questions of life have not changed. So what then is the message for our day? The message for our day is Christ himself. No matter how well-intentioned we may be, no matter how well-intentioned I may have been across the years from this pulpit preaching about Christ, I was wrong if I did not present Christ himself to you. No matter how well-intentioned we are as Sunday school teachers in our honest efforts to lay bare the truths of God's Word for those who are in the classes that we teach, if we have been content to teach about Christ instead of teaching Christ himself, we have been in error. The message that we have for the world is not a word about Christ, it is not a word about God. It is not a word about anything, but rather the message that is ours, that is real and vital. The message that will change lives and bless homes and change communities and make cities a better place to live and can literally have an impact upon this crazy kind of world in which we live is Jesus Christ himself. That's our message. It is about Jesus himself that we must sing. It is of Jesus himself that we must speak. It is of Jesus himself that we must invite people to come and share, not in a teaching about Christ or a preaching about Christ or singing about Christ, but rather into that vital relationship of Christ himself. The dynamic effect upon the lives of those men and women of that first Christian generation was not because of the words that Jesus spoke as glorious as they were. It was the impact of Jesus himself upon their lives. You say, okay, but it's 2,000 years later. Okay, but that was a long time ago. And Jesus isn't in Chattanooga. Well, let's see about that.
Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Who are they, by the way? I look out over this congregation, and I love you. And there are, as I look at you, there is the memory of someone who used to sit beside you. You've gone on. A great cloud of witnesses who once sang with us in the song service, who once prayed with us in the praying hour, who once rejoiced with us in the victories, they're in that great cloud of witnesses. They're watching. They're watching what we do. We're compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. What is that? Is that some heinous, horrible sin that keeps me from being like Christ? Is that some terrible something that keeps you from being like Christ? Maybe. But I think rather that besetting sin is that remarkable ability that all of us have to say, I'll get busy in this business of living the Christian life tomorrow. Too much to do today, I've already planned. Too many things on the schedule for me to really get serious about the business now, for one of these days, you just wait and you just watch my dust. That's what most of us say. The besetting sin of never really getting to it. But the grandstands of heaven are full, and there are a lot of folks who are precious to our hearts who, like the angels of old who looked down and saw Jesus come into this world, looked down upon us and would encourage us to begin to live that kind of life that really makes a difference. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Does the Holy Spirit in this passage say he sat down? No. And is set down. 
So what difference does that make? All the difference in time and eternity. All the difference in whether Jesus, who came out of that borrowed tomb and now is in the glories of heaven, whether or not he just sat down to wait until the time he would return again, or whether or not he is actively engaged in the affairs of this life. And the glory of the passage tells us this, that when Jesus went away, he is set down at the place of power and authority and the glories of heaven, and he is actively at work. Where? In the city of Chattanooga, Tennessee, on the fourth day of May, in the year of our Lord, 1980. So, Jesus came, and he made a difference. Jesus came, and he said, God is love. Jesus came, and he said, God hates sin, and he must punish sin because he hates it so much. But there is a way. A door has been opened. A way of escape has been made possible. Jesus came, and he declared the gospel, which is literally the good news. The good news that there is a way to God. There is a way to be clean. There is a way for our sins to be removed from us. There is a way that we can be a part of the family of God. There is a way that we can live our lives so that living them we can be a blessing to others. And in leaving this life, we can leave a trail to the lives of men and women and boys and girls who would call up, call us blessed. Jesus was faithful in his task. And because he was faithful, we gather here. We must be faithful in our task. And our message is the same message that Jesus brought. God is love. God hates sin. God has opened the window to heaven. God in Jesus welcomes us and bids us home. The decade of the 80s, it's moving swiftly. Four months already gone. As we get older, it goes faster, doesn't it? I used to hear grandmother and granddad talk about that. Didn't make much sense then. It sure does now. What are you doing? with your life. Where does your life count for most? Who are you touching with the gracious spirit of Jesus? It's still true. We have one life. 
and it will soon be passed. Only what we do for Jesus will truly last. I ask you this morning, as one who loves you, to know, to know before the sun sets this night what your life is all about, what you're doing, the direction in which you're going, the lives you're touching and how you're touching them. and taking Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of your faith, as your example, in that he made a difference, and nothing was ever the same. So why can't we pray, Lord, let me live so that I can make a difference and that after me, nothing will ever be the same, but will be better. Let's pray together. Our Father, thy word comes like a brilliant searchlight that shines on our hearts our lives, the way we walk, the places we've been, the lives we've touched. Oh, dear God, in this hour, in this holy and sacred moment, dear God, we do not ask to see the future. We do not ask to see what is to come I simply ask in this moment that every one of us, dear God, in this place might commit ourselves afresh to be in this generation what Jesus was when he was in flesh on this earth. I pray, dear God, that your Holy Spirit will do his perfect work in each of our hearts and bring about the results in our lives because we have worshipped you this hour. In Jesus' name. Hymn number 187, Just As I Am just as I am. The invitation that we offer from this pulpit this morning is the invitation of Jesus himself who said, Come unto me, all ye who are weary and tired, and I'll give you rest. Accept Jesus as your friend, as your Savior. Let him touch your life and you'll never be the same. Accept him as Savior. 
And if you would make that step of faith, share it with us that we can rejoice together. Come in a moment while we sing. If you're a Christian and your church membership is somewhere else, but you live in this city, I invite you on behalf of this congregation to come and bring your life to the very midst of this congregation. You see, in doing that, you can live a life that will make a difference in this generation. This congregation will welcome you. Brother Norman will be at the front. We stand and sing. Will you come? with you I say knowing full well that God audits and hears every word any of us say there is no single spot on the face of the earth any dearer to my heart than the pulpit in which I now have the privilege of standing and I'm so grateful for the warm friendship and love that has grown between your wonderful, wonderful pastor and myself and his graciousness in inviting me here. I prayed for him and for Amon, rejoicing in the goodness of God, in the multiplying effect of your ministry and your Christianity through them as they have been serving in Africa. It's good to be home and God bless you.
and don't ever forget how much we love you. Thank you, Brother Ralph. I can thank, I can say on behalf of everyone how good it has been to have you with us today. I share, excuse me, just two or three announcements as we go. Today at 3.30, the Organ Guild Junior Choir Festival will be here in our church. You are invited to share in this time of music, worship, and praise. Would remind the members of the new, new nominating committee, not the old one now, the new nominating committee of your meeting tonight at 8 p.m. Then also, tomorrow at 4.55, our pastor and Amon should be returning from their three weeks in Africa. If you would like to meet us at the airport and welcome them home, I know that would be a, a real thrill to them as they come back in. Now, they may be sick. You know how it is when you've been flying for 42 hours, I believe it is, you last told me. They may be tired. So if he doesn't look, you know, like he's just in a, the, the peak performance, why well, just forgive him of that and allow him the fact that he's been dragging around for about three weeks. Would you do that? Then as you go to a little more of a serious note, I want to share two names with you for prayer requests. Brother J.W. Prater, one of our fine Sunday school teachers in the adult five, lost a brother this weekend, and he has gone to Oklahoma for the uh, burial and the funeral service there. So do remember Brother Prater and your prayers as he is away. And also, Mr. C.H. Wheeler is in uh, uh, Tri-County Hospital and will have to undergo surgery. We'll ask that you remember him in your prayers also at this time. There we go now with prayer upon our hearts. Our Heavenly Father, how we rejoice in being here in your house today. Father, we look to it as a time of strength for our lives, a time of praise and worship that we can lift up the name of Jesus that has been so marvelously proclaimed here this morning. But Father, as we have been reminded from your word, it's so easy to suffer from complacency of the heart and causes hardening of the spiritual arteries Father, we would pray that we would see that there is so much to be done for Christ, so much to share with others, so much to allow Christ to do in our own lives that we can share him. And Father, we just pray that we might go with a desire in our heart to do that. We thank you for the message of this hour. We pray that it would feed, feed our hearts, our souls during the coming days. And as you continue to stir and lead us in the power of your Holy Spirit, we would pray in all earnestness, Father, that you would use us in your kingdom's work. Now dismiss us in your love, your watch care. Go with us through the remainder of this day. Draw us back together again tonight as we come to study and train and to praise your name. We look forward to these times week by week because of that sweet fellowship we share and the power of your Holy Spirit. And Father, we just thank you again and again for this sweet peace that is ours here at Brainerd Baptist. Go with us now as we go from this place with a song in our heart, a prayer upon our minds and our hearts that we will be the people that you want us to be. In Jesus' name we humbly pray. Mm -hmm. 